and welcome everyone to episode 227 of Milwaukee's Tailgate Brewers podcast. I am James, joined by Ryan, and a special pinch hitter this week for Paul, who's had his power knocked out, actually, from that storm on uh, Saturday night. Kind of surprising, weird early March storm, but we've got Steve Garshinsky here to I heard, pinch I heard, it, as always. I heard Paul was rushing to uh, Andy Schaff's house uh, ah, to make yeah. sure he's doing all right. Yeah. <laughs> just everybody's just checking in everybody. on the night because uh, yeah. Sunday afternoon, not the best. Not the best for Badgers. No, we we had our momentary sense of panic, drank our, our sorrows away when Johnny Davis uh came crashing down, thought, you know, images of Brian Butch flashed in all of our heads mm. and and everything was was bad for, for a bit. But you know, hopefully it's it's not as bad as it looked. Badgers have about a, a week or so before they got to worry about playing uh, right. Their first game in the big 10 tournament would be Friday. So hopefully that gives Johnny time to rest up and nothing is torn and, and our hopes are alive. Right. But other than that, guys, how are you doing? Well, so we were like the only ones not at the game, apparently, because just about everybody. Oh, yeah. I, like, I know a lot of people who are at those games. You you didn't yeah. go, right, James? You you often I didn't go, go but no. my uh sister uh came in from out of town to go and, and my grandma came down to go see uh, it was her Christmas present this year. We got her Badgers tickets and this is the game that she ended up seeing. So uh kind of a bummer at the end there, but at least it was close, I guess. I don't know. Um but yeah, I've got one eye on on the Illinois game tonight, just uh rooting for Iowa. So the Badgers can uh get sole possession of first place but eesh yeah not a great day of of college basketball viewing at least so oh steve did pull uh fish tickets for us in the pavilion for saturday at alpine yesterday so that was good uh, though that was also how long were you online with that like over an hour yeah i was checking in and out for it was at least it was probably close to an hour and a half just constantly like oh, i'll refresh it and luckily you know with phones nowadays it's easy to do that as opposed to sitting there you know in the olden days, staring at a computer screen, but yeah, yeah, so we have well, that's exciting. Yeah, that's it's, it'll only be what your fifth time going to see fish this year, Ryan. Uh, that will be my fourth fish show of the summer, fourth out of five that I know <laughs> of so far. Oh boy, yeah. and the one we can old man with with reserve seats. So, oh, okay, we can just so. you know waddle, waddle in. Waddle in, sit down. You don't have to stand in the pit or anything like that. Well, no, yeah. it, instead of just being out on the lawn yeah. with the, yeah. the common people. Yes. It's nice to not be on the lawn for every show. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, man. Yeah. So good to have you, Steve. Thanks. We've got some uh, uh, lots of labor stuff to talk about. So you're going to have to lawyer like Paul normally does. So hopefully you're up to the task. <laughs> well, you know, it's a podcast. So whatever we say is legally binding. That's true. Yeah, we don't need to have facts or anything like that. We can just say this or, or, or you know, wonder about things and put irresponsible opinions out in the world. So, I have the microphone, so I'm an authority. Oh, boy. Yeah. All right. <laughs> On that note, uh, before we get started with all the labor fun, a reminder, you can help support us through a few bucks our way at patreon.com slash MKE tailgate. You get question priority here on this podcast, as well as the Packers reporting as eligible podcast whenever they do shows throughout the Packers off season five bucks a month gets you that extra content you get the minor league extra podcast with Ryan and James Anderson from Rotowire minor leaguers are at least at spring training so that's fun 
uh, some baseball type images to look at there. Uh, you also get Paul's reporting as eligible mini pods through the Packers off season as well. So I mentioned, you know, minor leaguers in uh, spring training, major leaguers still, of course, not the, the lockout is ongoing. We're up to what, like 95 days now? I honestly lose count and it doesn't really matter, but it, it's ridiculously long. Uh, so I guess a uh, reminder, we kind of waited a day last week to record last episode, uh, hoping that, you know, that deadline of, of the end of February was going to kind of yield some sort of news. And we sat here and we talked for an hour and a half and nothing happened during that. And uh, nothing happened through the early morning hours that followed and they kept talking into Tuesday kind of gave us a little bit of hope, I guess, but kind of proved to be some false hope, maybe some uh, falsely generated hope from one of the sides in the negotiations uh, as we heard more throughout the week. And basically, you know, we all know by now that, you know, the, the owners made their quote unquote, like best offer and the players kind of promptly rejected it because it was still trash. And that quote unquote forced the league to cancel basically the first week of the season. And you had Rob Manfred smiling all the way through the press conference, really bad look, but nobody cares. Um, but I, I guess as the days that follow, we kind of learn more about those last negotiations, right? And the, uh, league apparently adding a bunch of stuff there at the last minute into the negotiations and if you were listening last week to paul's description of what bad faith negotiating looks like uh he kind of gave a hint that that would happen and that's exactly what happened uh you know the players still trying to talk about the competitive balance tax and the owners want to suddenly talk about the size of the bases so uh, that was kind of weird and uh, i think you know you guys saw ross stripling's comments after that right like he he basically said they thought we were a bunch of dumb players and they tried to pull one over on us after midnight kind of thing and so obviously the animosity is still there right um so i i kind of want to get into i guess impressions of the last week that was everything that kind of happened since the last time we talked but i guess as a refresher uh, mlb's best and final offer quote unquote although that was kind of disputed by rob manfred too uh basically proposed no changes to the CBT threshold. So holding steady at about $220 million, at least for the next few years, they did propose a $5 million increase on pre-arb bonus pools. So they are up to $30 million, but still very, very far apart with from the players, about $50 million, actually, if you account the latest offer from the players. Uh, they also did agree to increase minimums from $675,000 to $700,000. So, you know, a huge movement of about $10,000 a year there as well. And uh, that was compared to the MLBPA's previous offer before Sundays, where the CBT thresholds were at about $238 million, going up to 263 by the end of the agreements and the pre-R bonus pool. Uh, at about 85 million, although they've since come down to 80. So basically, Ryan, uh, they're still really far apart. They're not moving on the big issue, which is the CBT. Even you know Sunday's latest with their latest offer, they're they're not budging off that, and it doesn't look like there's any end in sight, does there? No, there really doesn't. I, I mean, you would think that at some point they are going to start looking at having lost a bunch of money. 
And there was some talk this week on Twitter and on various podcasts about the fact that they have about a 25 game grace period before they have to start rebating uh, TV networks before like in general, these contracts that are drawn up, not between teams and their own networks, but between teams and their uh, like Bally's Wisconsin. Okay. That they have about a 25 game grace period. And after that, they have to start offering rebates. So they kind of get, you'd look at it like a free 25 games almost. And, you know, teams don't tend to do real well in April for attendance outside of that, that opening game, which you would assume that would just kind of shove down to whenever the, the opening game is, is going to have a big bump. And then there will be, you know, a plop after that. And we'll see how much this affects them. But, they seem pretty steadfast right now on not wanting to move. And believe it or not, for this last offer that they put before their deadline, and I think that's what they're calling it as their last offer before the deadline, uh, there were four teams that voted against making that offer because that was too generous in yeah. the minds of the Tigers, Angels, uh, Diamondbacks, and Reds. So you can see what incompetent management looks like. Those teams are really among the very worst teams. I made this point on Twitter. They're among the very worst run teams in baseball. You know, especially the Angels spend a ton of money and it never gets them anywhere because they just, yeah. they don't know what the hell they're doing. And Arizona and Cincinnati go through these weird swings where like all of a sudden they're trying and then they're not trying and they're cutting payroll. And they, they do this all the time. They don't have a, a clear vision of what they want to do. And the Tigers are just in a situation where, you know, old man Illich finally kicked off and he had been spending way above what other owners generally had been spending in terms of their revenues. And now the kids have come in and have decided enough of that. We uh, we uh, we need to make some money off of this, even though, you know, the old man passed on to them something like four and a half billion dollars. So it really just is frustrating uh, that that even uh, this this terrible deal that they put forth to the players at the end was still turned down by four of their number. And so I don't know, it, you would think that this thing is going to get settled sometime in the next month or so. People have kind of pointed to, you know, sometime around an opening day around between May 1st and May 15th. But who knows? It, People are going to have to the ownership is going to have to move off of their numbers because the union has moved significantly and ownership really is sticking to this CBT threshold. And I have more on that later to talk about, but I'll save that for one of the questions coming up. Yeah, Steve, how like annoying is this to kind of see this deadline come up and and think that maybe there's action, but it, it, it was all kind of just a ploy to. Well, no, force I mean, this bad offer, right? As, as Ryan pointed out with um, kind of the threshold they have for games they can miss before having to, you know, basically give back any money to the RSNs, um, I think that's pretty clear that the owners built that in is we're kicking that part of the season. So we're not seeing games in April. So, yeah, I you know, what do they need, a month? Is it a month to get ready? Did they decide that regardless mm -hmm. of when they make the deal or was that still kind of a spring training thing? Well, um, the players are saying they don't need that long and no. they're actually the ones that make more of this. But I think MLB still wants to have spring training in Arizona, even if that's happening in April instead of March, they still want to have spring training in Arizona and Florida because they also have contracts to live up to down there. Yeah. So, I mean, either way, yeah, we're not seeing any games, you know, until May at the earliest and yeah, it's likely mid may probably. 
Um, and who knows? Again, when you have, like Ryan pointed out, the four um, four teams that they basically think everything's too generous at the moment. Um, it, it clearly signals that I think they're they're willing to kill quite a bit of the season before um, we actually see baseball again. Right, and like we've t- kind of talked about too, these are games that are generally lower attendance, lower viewership. You know, it's sort of May before a lot of people start paying attention anyway. You know, we're weird and dumb and pay attention to spring training and, and early season games here. But, you know, a lot of the, the general public doesn't really start paying attention until May anyway. You know, once college basketball is wrapped up and. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think you still get, uh, you know, you obviously get opening day. I think the first weekend of the season is still usually relatively well attended, yeah. you know, at least in Milwaukee, mm-hmm. um, especially since there's a roof there. Thank God. I don't know what we do without a roof. Andy. Yeah, Andy. <laughs> um, you know, and I think I think Milwaukee does relatively well on weekends, you know, kind of those April, you know, ones are still pretty sparse. But by May, I think the weekends start to pick up. So, you know, this is. Uh, a market, I think that'll kind of feel it a little bit more um, than some others. But uh, yeah, it's you know, again, like you said, I don't think the owners have any um, anything really pushing them to be on the field early, you know, by any means. So it's a matter of how 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 much they think it takes to break the players, and they're going to basically push that to the limit. Right. Yeah, I mean, that was kind of the the allegation from the players union, too, after that Tuesday second deadline, right? That after seeing that offer, their reaction was they're just trying to break the union and and nothing else. Right, Ryan? Well, yeah, and that offer may have been poison pilled. It's a little bit different than what Paul was talking about last week. Uh, Basically, at the at the last second there, they seem to have thrown in some items that were meant not not so much as like Ross Stripling said that they thought that were stupid, but that I think MLB threw that stuff in to make sure that nothing got done mm-hmm. to try to get the players to walk away at the last minute and to say, screw you, this is insane. Like, we don't want to have anything to do with this offer. And so it is interesting that the players are now reengaging on that stuff and basically saying, I, I wonder if they're almost calling the bluff on it and saying, okay, yeah, we will accept your bigger bases and you know your your banning of the shift and your pitch clock, which they have. To be fair, they have previously been pretty against. So yeah. that is actually a concession. But some of this other stuff is just you know kind of bullshit that that they're trying to throw out there. So we'll see what the ownership at that point does with that. Though James, you did mention that uh, the the initial reaction to the players' counter proposal today was basically uh we're taking steps backwards which you know that's of course they're going to say that that's how they roll yeah so yeah let's kind of recap that really quick so as we record this on sunday night the players and the owners did have another meeting on sunday of course uh the players countered the owner's last offer from last week the main highlights according to Evan Drellick uh kind of the the main guy here from the Athletic to cover all of this stuff he says the MLB would have permission to grant that pit, pitch clock larger bases shift restrictions within 45 days notice uh that would be a change from i think the 
current status quo is like a year, right? And the, the league wanted to make those changes within 45 days notice. So as you mentioned, the player is saying, fine, take it, whatever. Uh, that's coming anyway. They also Wait, agree. So all, the players- of, all of this is the player said you can implement this. They yeah. just reached a time frame on it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And as soon as next year. So obviously not this year, but basically, yeah, give us 45 days notice. You can do all this stuff. They also agreed to basically take another step towards the owners by cutting their pre-arb pool request by an additional $5 million, as we kind of mentioned earlier. So now that request is down to $80 million, but still, as noted, quite a difference between the $30 million the MLB offered there as well. And as we also noted, the players did not budge on their previous CBT threshold demands or the league minimum salary demands. So... No movement on there, and I'm guessing that's why the league basically said this was a step back, despite all of those concessions that we just made, right? So uh, the players obviously refuted that stuff, and in the meantime, you know, as we said, first week of the season's gone. Wouldn't be surprised to see more games axed in the next week or so, right, Ryan? Yeah, and there is something to bring a little bit more darkness over all of this. Now we're also starting to run into the issue of how is the missed time going to be made up in terms of games played? MLB has said they will not play those games. And in terms of paying the players, are they going to demand that the players take uh, a complete uh, L on this one? And also the service time issue right now, no one is accruing going to accrue service time for that first week. It's what, like 15 days or something, you know, this is basically the Otani clock, right? So basically MLB can, if they pull this back and manage to get it like a start behind, I guess about April 20th, somewhere in that neighborhood, um, maybe even a little bit before that, if they could push it back that far, no player this year will get a full year of service time. So they could potentially delay everybody on that. And the union is obviously not going to want to stand for that. And ownership no, is going to have to bargain that they are, but, but who's going to blink? Like, the, the point I'm making is that the more time passes, it's not like the issues get smaller. The, the Actually, it starts adding new issues that are going to have to be bargained yeah. to the table. It gets harder. It gets sure. harder. Yeah. And and I think that there's going to be even more um, intractableness. Wouldn't the players be able to sue the owners on that, though, because the owners are locking the players out? I don't. That's where we would need Paul, but I don't. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I would imagine lawsuits would fly in that case because this isn't like the players striking and refusing to show up. This is the owner saying you cannot come. So I don't think yeah, so. Yeah. I think that that's maybe they file a grievance or something. Well, I, I, you know, yeah, that stuff I'm, takes years to litigate. So oh, yeah, it, it'd be years before they're made whole on that stuff. I'm sure but. that'll all be part of the negotiations to even get back on the field. Yeah, I mean, it'll have to be, but then the question becomes, as that adds more and more distance between the sides uh, and expecting more and more uh, L-taking between various sides, it seems that there's some owners that don't want to take any loss, no matter what, no matter how insignificant, even when they're overall winning in you know massive amounts in this whole deal. It's still unsure because the player said, if you cancel games, we are not giving you the expanded postseason. Yeah. And then today there was stuff about this where the players were saying, we're willing to potentially bargain the expanded postseason for 
um, getting back some of the service time and the money that we lost from those games as yeah. you know, so there's some of that. So the players do have some leverage in this, but the longer this goes on, the, the more, uh, they're going to be fighting over the money that they, they lost by doing this. And that's just, that's going to make it doubly infuriating or triply infuriating. I don't know how many, how many multiples are we at here of <laughs> infuriating seven layers of infuriating yeah. at least. You know, uh, yeah, I mean, as Paul and others have mentioned, you know, if you've listened to other podcasts, all that stuff will have to be bargained before they even get back, including the number of games and that kind of thing. And I think that's kind of also why you've seen maybe some ideas floated out there that the players are willing to accept that dreaded 14 team playoff if it means they get their money to be made whole for this season, right? So, well, and they were also saying that the only way they're going to accept the 14 team playoff is if it involves the ghost wins. And MLB uh, yeah. is being intractable on that, which actually does kind of make the point that the players are are shooting for, which is part of the reason the owners want to expand the playoffs is they know that that will increase or that will decrease the need to spend in the middle of the win curve. Mm-hmm. So, teams in the in the 80s, you know, will not be spending the way teams in the, in the 80s win of part of the win curve would have spent before because they just don't need to. Mm-hmm. So MLB re, or the, the players union really wants to make sure that there is a significant advantage given for finishing at 92 versus 87 wins, which sure. I think we can all agree on is a good thing. I, I know there are people that don't like the idea of the ghost wins, but it's worked for years in KBO. I, I think people will get used to it. And there's really a lot of sense to it. When a team finishes ahead of another team in the season, they should get a substantial benefit over if they if they finish ahead in 162, they should get a benefit for that in the, sure. the knockout playoffs. You sure. know, Ryan, you said fewer teams will need to spend, but wouldn't that actually increase the number of teams that would spend at the deadline? Because more teams will. We're not talking about the deadline. We're talking oh. about in the in the offseason. In the it, where where teams are projected in the win curve because we know that's how everybody makes decisions now. Mid season, I would imagine the trade deadline would get kind of wild. No, what it does is it it opens things up a little bit at the bottom end. It it and what ownership wants people to believe is that no no no. So now if you're like a 78 win team, well you might just be a few wins away from making the playoffs, and that's going to cause more spending. Mm-hmm. That might be true. It might cause those teams to spend a little bit more. If you're around 81 wins, you would spend a little bit more. But now if you're at 86, 87 wins, 89 wins, you just don't have as much incentive to spend. Yeah. Hell, if you're at 92 wins, you don't have much incentive to spend unless you get a significant advantage for getting to 92. Right. Whether there's like buys or something. I think... You know, the ghost win idea, I know you're you're crazy about, Ryan, and, and it just sounds weird because you call it like ghost wins and people hate ghost runners and that kind of thing. But I think maybe if you just explained it as, hey, lower seed, you need to win two, higher seed, you need to win one, you know, we've, whatever. We've already seen them just randomly put a guy on second base and extra right. innings just because. So, mm-hmm. yeah, the idea of a ghost <laughs> win should not. And that's the, yeah, that seems you know, this seems less offensive than that, right? So. Yeah, I mean, a ghost win is probably just really bad PR. It's like bad naming yeah. of the thing. You need to call it something yeah. different and sell it in a different way. So maybe that's I need to be more careful of that in my yeah. discussions. No, I mean, so yeah, yeah exactly. Sure. It, it's basically the lower seed needs to win more games. I think if you pitch mm-hmm. it like that, people are like, oh yeah, sure, that makes sense. Yeah, as yeah, opposed to say, making yeah, it sound like it gets an advantage. 
Well, yep. the way it is right now, they're looking at that first round, this added round, this wild card round, basically, of being a, a five game series. And so this would give a team, the team that finishes with the higher wins, probably wins a division in most cases. Uh, mm -hmm. That team would have to win two to advance, as opposed to the lower seeded team, which would have to win three. So it sure. is a it is a real substantial advantage, but it doesn't predetermine anything. There will be no. teams that go and win the three games to to get through. That will happen. So, you know, it's it it but it gives a substantial advantage and teams will price that out. They will figure that out. That they, they have as we've talked about, the nerd cave is full of people that can figure out things like this down to the the smallest decimal and will know exactly, you know, what the probabilities are and all that. They will figure out how much value there is to the extra wins. They will know down to the penny what that's worth. Sure. And I think, too, I it, it does kind of um, make sense to me the more I think about it, right? And it, it does also maybe address some of the concerns some of us have about just kind of the uh, forced parity or randomness, if you want to call it that, that a 14-team field would have, right? Like, it, it helps ensure that maybe the better teams do find a way to to advance. You know, you get less randomness that way. It is just one game, but you know, it, any kind of advantage there, I think, does kind of make sense. So mm -hmm. I don't know. We'll see how that goes. Uh, we also, of course, have a ton of Patreon questions to get to uh, after the last week of craziness here. So let's start with Chris Richards. Chris is asking, to the best of your understanding of where the CBA talks stand right now, how would the Brewers fare under those terms if the luxury tax goes up to the levels the MLBPA wants? What are the implications for the crew? Uh, Ryan, your feelings on that? I guess, you know, we're, we're kind of torn here, right? Because obviously a lot of the stuff that we're talking about, we want, you know, equitable shares in the pie, right? But it, it's a tricky issue for small market fans. Yeah, I, I don't think here we're looking at uh, as big a difference as I think some people imagine. If you're looking at the, the luxury tax going up instead of being 220, 220, 220, 223, 225, as the owners want, to something in the 240s and ending around 260. Uh, first off, it's important to remember that a, most teams do not spend to the luxury tax threshold. I was going to say, the Brewers are never going to spend 220 or $250 million, so what does it matter? Well, and, th and that's not the point. Too, because it's about you know how many teams are doing that, how many teams are pushing that far, and how many teams are doing that. And in theory, if that means if there's a bunch of teams that are going to start really pushing up their payrolls because of this, then that's going to make it harder for the Brewers to compete. In theory, well, really not. And here's it, it might move things a little bit at the margins and make it a little bit more difficult, but the Brewers still have the most important advantages, which Paul and I talk about all the time on here, which is they have the six years of service time, six plus, almost seven. The players were trying to get that changed. They didn't get that changed. I really thought you were going to say Craig Council. <laughs> <laughs> that that would have been a, that would have been an actual substantial change if they had given away a year of service time or a year of, of service time control, right? And he doesn't count against the luxury tax. It's the perfect advantage. Craig? <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> so anyway. No, Real like, money might, but not Craig Council. Yeah. Yes. So like that part of it doesn't really doesn't really change things, right? So it doesn't uh, – the, the Brewers are still going to be uh, not spending close to the cap. There will be teams that are spending significantly more than them if you end up with – 
an increase in this, it will change things a little bit at the margins. The biggest thing is it will just mean, you know, the players are getting more money and the, uh, I, I don't think it will dramatically shift the competitive balance. And I think it's here. It is important to note. If you go back to when the, the luxury tax was first put into place, the CBT was first put into place. And that is in the, the was it the 2002, 2003 that in that, uh, CBA. If you were to adjust it now for changes in revenue to the league, so if if the the competitive balance tax were to have grown commiserate with the amount of money the league was making, the the increases in how much revenue is coming in, the CBT right now would be over three hundred million dollars. Mm-hmm. So the the fact that we're fighting between two hundred and twenty and two hundred and forty five, two hundred fifty somewhere in there, the fact that we're fighting in that range. Won. The owners yeah. have already won. Like they've already won this huge victory. And what they're trying to do is to keep winning forever. They're, they've already won and they're trying to keep winning forever and never, ever, ever lose and never have to give up on the gains that they, they made. And so that's, that's basically, I, I, I don't know how to, to be much more plain about that. Like the fact of the matter is, is that the, for the brewers, they're still going to have the major advantages, which are, they have the six years of control, six, well, almost seven years of control over players. And they're still going to be able to sign extensions to guys. We look at how many guys have actually left. I was thinking about this the other day. Since Mark Athanasio has bought the team, how many guys have actually left after their six plus years of service time because they wanted to hit free agency right away and get on the market as soon as possible? Prince. I mean, that's it's like one. the last one I can think of. He's right? the only one. Everybody else signed an extension. Like literally everybody else who the Brewers wanted to keep. I guess you could say J.J. Hardy. They traded him with a, still a year left, but that was because they had Alcides Escobar waiting on deck. So basically the Brewers have kept everybody that they wanted to keep. And I guess you could say C.C. Sabathia, but they only traded for him because Cleveland couldn't keep him. So that doesn't really count. <laughs> It was understood, yeah. Exactly. Right. So in, in the 17 years of Mark Antonazio's ownership, the Brewers have never lost a guy that they couldn't keep, like a homegrown player that they wanted to keep other than Prince Fielder. That was the guy. And you see what ended up happening there. He got a huge amount of money, and he broke down, and I think his contract is finally up now after five years of being retired. So, you know, they kind of dodged a bullet on that one. Who's going to be number two right now? What's your prediction? <laughs> I mean, as far as the guys, yeah, that that is coming, but that's not that wouldn't change. Yeah, there it's clearly going to happen. That's why I'm putting you on the spot to say you got to pick. <laughs> You're going to be Burns or Woodruff. So the thing is, oh come on, oh god, say a name. Well, no, we've talked about this a million times. I don't think they're going to keep. I don't think. Woodruff. Yeah, yeah, I. I th- I think they'll try to keep Burns. I don't know that they will keep Burns. So that'll be this is going to be interesting because this is the point where they have to they're going to have to make that decision. But that is very rare. Yeah. So, anyways, back to, back to Chris's question. There is nothing that the players have proposed that's drastically like changing baseball. Right. So I don't think there there isn't anything that like significantly changes how the Brewers fare in a new CBA. 
even if it's uh, even if it leaned towards the player side. You did that in 15 seconds. Yeah, that's kind of the infuriating thing to me is like we're at the point now, basically, where there's not going to be a substantive change. Right. So now I'm just getting mad that there's no baseball because it, like you said, Ryan, the owners have already won. They just want to step on the throat. And that's mm-hmm. I, back to the player's point that they oh, it's about breaking the union. Like that's stuck in their mind because in the player's mind, they've made all these concessions. They're basically at a point where they're operating under a mildly tweaked CBA, nothing new really, and they're still being locked out. So I think that's what's most frustrating to me, I guess, as a fan, just waiting for this to resolve itself. Yeah, I 100% agree with that. And going back to the previous point about like the Burns and Woodruff decision, it's not like teams aren't forced to make hard decisions in salary cap situations where everything is all set up perfectly, supposedly, right? The, the Packers are letting a bunch of players they would like to keep go this offseason because they can't afford to keep them all. Hey, we don't know that. We don't know that yet. We're waiting on one guy. Well, the- yeah, no, but that's going to, yeah, <laughs> it's going to happen. So point is, is that even in a salary cap situation, teams are still forced to make hard decisions. So there isn't like there isn't a, a magical world where if the the players completely caved and buckled, the Brewers would just magically be able to afford Corbin Burns and Brandon Woodruff uh, for the rest of their careers and everything would be wonderful. There would still be hard decisions that would have to be made no matter what economic system you were playing in. All right. Uh, next Patreon question comes from your guys's buddy, Jay. So Jay Google asking. What do you think the league does with the schedule? The Brewers had a pretty gravy April and it got tougher. Do you think they revamped the whole league schedule or just play from wherever they start the season? So I think, you know, we kind of addressed this. The the owners make it sound like they just kind of want to pick up wherever the schedule, the original schedule says, right? But uh, if you're the Brewers, you'd love to get those games against the Diamondbacks back, right? Right. Yeah, I think, yeah, tw- if they miss 25 games, it might pick up where, you know, it just starts in the schedule. I think if it starts to get any deeper, then you're going to see them want to make sure they get their um, division games in. Sure. I think that'll be the consideration. So, mm-hmm. you know, if we start missing games in May, if season doesn't start till June or if it's not starting till the all-star break, they're going to redo the schedule then. Like I said, uh, you know, especially so they can make sure they, they maximize, you know, what they feel as far as regional attendance is. Yeah, I mean, they did that even in the pandemic-shortened season of 2020. They made sure that everything was regional. Part of that was just for travel reasons and just for logistical reasons. But they also did it for wanting to have those games. They wanted to make sure that there were a bunch of Yankees-Red Sox games because people (laughs) want to watch Yankees and Red Sox games, apparently, on TV because that's all they ever put on TV. You know, they want to watch Cardinals-Cubs. They want to watch Dodgers and, and Giants. So... Yeah, I I don't see them punting that long term. I think there would come a point where they would have to like refigure out the schedule, but that could be tr- pretty tricky. I, I we'll see how far this ends up going, but I think for for simplicity's sake, right now they're trying to avoid that, which does suck for the Brewers because they do start soft in the schedule department. Yeah, but. On the other hand, the NL Central blows, so any division-heavy schedule would favor the Brewers, right? So. Yes. <laughs> All right. Uh, Mark Potscarby asking, uh, 
So I'm confused, he says. I routinely see owners in MLB considered more cutthroat than owners in other professional sports leagues. But I'm also told the MLBPA is the best union of the major sports. How can both of these things be true, Ryan? So I think a lot of this is history. Uh, I think a lot of the reason why people talk about the MLBPA being the best union in major sports is because traditionally they've been the strongest. They fought for a lot of things in court that they had to win court battles for, free agency, all this stuff. They had to win battles in court. That gave them a lot of power and a lot of leverage. And they had more of a say-so than a lot of the other unions did. And they also just had some stability things going for them that like the NFL doesn't with the short careers and whatever. They, they've just sort of had some advantages of that. And on the other side, that has made owners uh, insane. <laughs> Like you can go back throughout the history of of baseball and look at how owners behaved in 1972 and 1975 during the 1981 strike during the 1994 strike. They have always behaved as if the existence of the union is an affront to their sensibilities, that it is it, it, it is a violation of their rights as capitalists to have to bargain with these people and they should just get to do what their their ancestors did their their you know great grandpappy who owned the team or whatever was able to do which was to just tell them <laughs> what the hell they're going to make in a year and then they have to take it and if whether they like it or not and so they've I would have gotten away with it too if it weren't for your meddling union exactly, yeah, exactly. like yeah. so I think a lot of this is it's historical uh the way that the owners have behaved recently is definitely uh cutthroat but i wouldn't say that the nfl owners have been any less cutthroat i i don't think that that's true they just have a huge advantage where the the union of the nfl is as paul has said many times just like a joke it's it's so weak that they can really just push around and get whatever they want without really having to put up much of a fight often it also makes sense that the the MLB Players uh, Association would be stronger than other organizations with the cutthroat owners because they've had to be. Right. Like, when you're fighting against a front like that, yeah, you have more experience on, like, what you need to do to actually, like, win some of these battles. You know, I think what's so different now is that you don't have those wild cards like, you know, Steinbrenner used to be, where, you know, dude... Everybody hated Steinbrenner, but the guy wanted to win, so he's willing to spend a lot of money, which obviously wasn't in the best interest of all of the owners, where now it's more of a, you know, united front is head, hedge fund managers that they just want to maximize dollars. So I think that's why it's gotten so toxic, you know, at this point, because winning isn't the goal of, you know, any of the owners. I mean, really, who sticks out at this point? as being, you know, Steinbrenner-esque, that they're willing to do what's in the best interest of their own club versus the best interest of the owners as a whole. Steve Cohen. And that's brand new this, literally this winter. Yeah, we don't actually know if that's true yet. Well, I mean, he is looking at a payroll that exceeds the luxury tax by about 80 million right now. So he he's well, blowing but, by it for the short term at least we'll see how long he was going to stay up i mean there's always been some incompetence with the mets built into that so right well no i mean it part of it is just that steve cohen is the richest mlb owner and i think it's by like a sizable heap like he's got like 15 billion 
something like that. So he is a true, true, very, very wealthy man and just doesn't care. And he's willing to plow money into it and lose money and pay the balance or pay the, the, the competitive balance tax. And apparently that was what a lot of these people were really reacting to was Steve Cohen. They want to rein in Steve Cohen. And that there, <laughs> right. there seems to be some of that actually going on here where it's not so much aimed at the players. It's they want to make sure that the, the luxury tax, the competitive balance tax, no, the, you know, the, the salary cap, they want to make sure that that thing is hammering and keeping people like Cohen in line. Yeah, we yeah. need more yeah. rogue owners. I saw somebody this week say that if you had 30 Steinbrenners, this wouldn't be happening. We'd be playing, there'd be spring training games right now. Yeah, instead of wasting money on your fertility statues, pay the players. <laughs> well, okay, to be fair, Cohen is the one guy who's actually doing that. Like, he's the one who's, yes. he, he both has his fertility statues and is also spending way over the luxury tax, which I guess just goes to show how insane amount of money he is. actually has. Yeah, yeah. I mean, basically, right now, it, it, it's <laughs> it's a, it's a Mets and Dodgers tax, right? Like to kind of loop back to the original uh, Chris Richards question, kind, right? Like kind of those are the only teams who are really just blowing past it with no issue, right? So, well, and even know. the Dodgers have been reined in. They aren't going yeah. by it without a plan to get back under it to reset it every few years. That's yeah. the they've been working on like a three year time clock because if you can get under it for a year, you reset it and the penalties grow every year you're over. So mm -hmm. I think that gets lost a lot in the discussions of this is that the penalties, the big problem with the 2016 uh, agreement was that MLB put in absolutely draconian penalties on teams that just made it very hard for them to justify going over the, the luxury tax the way they used to, you know? And so teams like the Dodgers now game the system. Teams like the, the Red Sox game the system where they're going to go over it, but they're going to go over it in such a way that they can get back under it to reset it every few years. Right. It, it's yeah. It, it, yeah. Like we keep saying too, it's, it's these couple of teams, you know, the Red Sox do the same thing, right? Where they'll, they'll punt a year basically and, and get under the tax and then they're right back at it. So, uh, next question. Let's do Adam Post. He's asking if part of the next CBA, you could adjust the title of commissioner to something that better describes what Rob Manfred does. What would that be? Uh, Steve, what would that job title you would give Rob Manfred be? I've heard my favorite is Meat Shield. Um, I don't know. That's a baseball Twitter thing where basically he's the one that just <laughs> the owners stick out there to take all the bullets and and. They don't yeah, get touched, I mean, but yeah, uh, some variation of puppet. I mean, that's why I would just like fire Manfred. It's like, it doesn't matter. He's just out there representing what the owners, you know, want him to do. Um, so that whether it's Rob Manfred or somebody else, it's going to be the same, you know, idiot decisions that are made. So yeah, meat shield is a pretty good one. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, he's an individual with no actual like personality or defining characteristics he doesn't he doesn't matter he's just out there to be like the face of the owners to take the brunt um which again is why when people are like calling for him to be fired or angry at rob manfred it's like that's that's his job you you are supposed to be angry at him so you don't look you know down the street at the owner of your favorite baseball team and get pissed mm -hmm. off at them because that's where this is really all coming from the word is lick spittle. The word is lick spittle. 
Lickspittle? Lickspittle. You've never heard this? It's a Simpsons. It's from the uh, the episode. It's not actually German. I had to look it up. It is from of the it's, it's from it's from the German episode where the Germans buy the power plant. Um, but no, it is a person who behaves obsequiously to those in power. They uh, refer to Smithers as uh, Mr. Burns Lickspittle, <laughs> which is perfect. That's, That's that is bad. exactly what he is. He's their toady. He is their Lickspittle. We we love a good Simpsons reference here too. Yeah, I guess the only other thing I could think of is maybe not a title, but like a personification, right? So you know how like in the last week or two it's come out that like Russians are using AI to make fake bloggers, basically, and like piecing <laughs> together fake humans. That's basically what Rob Manfred is for the MLB owners, right? He he's an AI generated thing. Like Steve said, uh no personality, but also no autonomy. He, he's basically a, a Twitter bot that has been artificially created by the owners. I think that's basically the role of the commissioner. So that's where I'll leave that. Yeah, he, he is there to do a job for the owners, and that is where it begins and where it ends. All right, our next Patreon question comes from Andrew Merker. It's a good one, kind of similar to Adam's, but uh, this is Andrew's question. He's asking, you're in charge of firing Rob Bedford and finding a replacement. How do you fire him? For instance, do you give him a cake that says you're fired after you've licked the frosting? And who would you replace him with? Doesn't have to be realistic. Just someone you think who likes baseball and would be good. Okay, so Ryan, how are, first of all, how are you firing Rob Bedford? Well, I'm assuming that he has a giant golden parachute, so anything I would do would be to threaten to take that away, even if I couldn't actually do it. So I just assume that he's going to walk out of this job. If he were to be fired for cause, he would walk away with a giant golden parachute for sure that they would that has been negotiated in so that he would he would walk away happy. So anything that threatened that would be good. Um, I mean... Like the problem is, is that they're if they fire Manfred, it's literally to get somebody that's worse than him. <laughs> you know, like that would be the, he was not sufficiently evil enough for them, so they needed to find somebody who could up the level of evil from Rob Manfred. So they found, like, I don't know, is Stephen Miller doing anything these days? Like, I, like who do you find that is going to be like more awful than him? I, I, I just. If if there wasn't like if Rob Manfred wasn't in charge there, they would create Rob Manfred. <laughs> like he, he, you're just not going to yeah, get away the from AI this. embodiment yeah. commissioner, should, right? Like they should do the old the old Conan bit when he used to interview Arnold Schwarzenegger, but do it with Rob Manfred instead. So have you know <laughs> Robert Spiegel do the voice behind the the bad like mouth CG, and he even has the gap they could use. Like they always used to make him put on for Conan or for. Uh, <laughs> Arnold Schwarzenegger as well. It would basically be the same thing. It would work perfectly. Oh, oh man. Yeah. It's... But as we said, it doesn't matter who it is. Rob Rob Manfred doesn't matter. The The next one is no. going to be some generic name like that. Computer-generated name like Rob Manfred. <laughs> right. He even sounds like a, a fake villain that you would come up with, right? So I don't know. I, I, I feel like... It, yeah, if it's not him, it's going to be somebody who's basically like him with the negotiations and has given the owners all the successes that Rob Manfred has because, like, we all rag on him, but basically he's doing exactly what he's hired to do, just with bad PR. So, like, if they were to replace him, 
it'd be somebody who could be a little bit more charming in a press conference, right? Uh, that's about it. Because otherwise, he, he's doing everything that they want. So uh, there's really no reason. To I don't think him. they even want somebody to be charming because they'd hate for him to get good press. And then basically, then he feels the need to, I don't know, like make people feel better about baseball. Sure. <laughs> that's clearly not what they want. Or part of the job is he's taking bullets for the owners, right? He's taking the PR yeah. hits that they should be taking. And that's why it was so important. And it's interesting how this information got out about these four owners being the ones to vote against it. Somebody on the inside, on ownership side, had to have leaked that. because So somebody there is pissed off at those guys and is not happy with what's going on. But Manfred's whole job is to focus the rage of people on him and to try to deflect as much of that to the players union as possible. Obviously, right? He's trying to push as much of it as possible. But really, it is to act as <laughs> the meat shield for the owners so that <laughs> they don't take the heat that they deserve for what they're doing. It's so that people focus on hating Manfred instead of hating Mark Antanasio, for instance. Not that he's a particularly bad one. I don't think he's particularly bad, but you know, they're all bad. Don't protect him just because he's the Brewers owner. No, but <laughs> I'm saying he I don't think he's particularly bad amongst a group of bad. Like he doesn't stand out the way Artie Moreno stands out. Yeah, he, he's not voting to not raise the CBT, right? He he's you know. Like, okay, cool. And, you know, we've heard this in the last week, too, from Evan Drellick and others. Like, the Brewers are actually being held up as, like, an example of what small market teams should be doing in these negotiations, right? Mm -hmm. As opposed to the, the small market teams that are just pocketing all of the playoff revenue. So Yeah, the Brewers have been held up by, I think, players as being an example. If all the small markets behave the way Milwaukee did, we wouldn't have a problem. Like, things mm -hmm. would be fine. But then you've got the Pirates out there, so... So they should all be mercenaries that want to come and play here on deals when it works out. Yes. Well, apparently, everybody, according to what I saw in the NBA game this afternoon, uh, apparently all the NBA players want to come to Milwaukee. So, you know, winning a, a title does that. So, I mean, that's what will happen. Although LeBron's, in the NBA, you LeBron's have. LeBron's ready to come now because they already have a title. So it's easier to yes. win. Well, yes. Well, we'll have to draft Bronny for that to work, but. Yes, exactly. Oh, All right. Really old enough to be in drafted. like the next year or two. Yeah, he is a that's selling point for LeBron's free agency is uh -huh. uh, if you draft Bronny, I'll come. So. Yeah, he's going to be a senior in high school next year. He's a junior right now. So he's two oh, years okay. away from the NBA, though. He's like ranked 34th in his class. He's not like, no, you know, he's a second round pick. <laughs> He's well, good, but he's not like well, he's a, a second player. round pick tied to the top pick. So exactly. Yeah, so but also at that point, LeBron's, LeBron's going to be completely yeah. broken down. So <laughs> you would think exactly. Exactly. All right. Uh, back on track here. Next Patreon question comes from Ultimate Vehicle Fight Club asking as fans of the sport, what are some of the most impactful things we could do to show our dissatisfaction with MLB owners and the commissioner while supporting the MLBPA? I would still like to watch baseball and I want to see them best in I want to see the best in the world play the game. But how can we do that while sticking it to the man? Uh, this is a good question, I think. And I'm even like struggling, like, do I wear my brewer's hat? I don't know. Like, uh, it, it feels weird. I don't know. It, it, maybe I'm just overthinking this. I don't know. How about you, Steve? Yeah, I don't have anything that it 
it's <laughs> it's on a level we can't do anything that immediately impacts it i mean they don't again we've talked about where they make their money and sure there's some at the gate so people can say well i'm not going to go to any brewers games or i'm not going to go to any baseball games they come back but they still have all their media contracts and everything else that goes along with that um so i mean it's hard to say like hey do this and we'll have a tangible impact um you know i guess cancel your mlb tv subscription and you know don't subscribe to anything else baseball related that goes directly into the owner's pockets um but that's not like a huge list to begin with i mean i guess don't don't buy season tickets you know if you already have them i mean what are you gonna do so it, like i said there's there's not much that you can directly do to impact this you know it's not like i'm gonna buy coke instead of pepsi so <laughs> that was a practical problem that i was thinking through this week well before this question came in because I'm a season ticket holder. I've had season tickets since 2006. We split them into a group. Uh, Steve used to be part of that group. Then he had a kid, became more difficult. Maybe we'll loop uh, back on the other end and, and rejoin. It's ruined everything. Road. Yeah. So anyway, uh, I was thinking about this because I was so pissed off on Tuesday night where I was just looking for something like, what can I do that is actually going to matter here? And I came to the conclusion there isn't much I can actually do that's going to matter, but there are things I can do that are going to make me feel better like I'm actually doing something because <laughs> they already have my money for the season. Like and you're not giving up your you're not giving up your grandfathered season ticket plan. No, I do have a good grandfathered season ticket plan, but what I can do <laughs> is stop spending money at the ballpark. And that's kind of what I came to was I'm gonna go and I'm gonna take in my own food, my own beverage, or probably more likely go to a place and have, you know, a beer and dinner before and shuttle in, not park in their lot, not spend a dime at the place more than what I already spent sunk cost for the tickets. And we'll see if I actually stick to that. I don't know. But that that was what I came up with was just I'm not going to spend money on your overpriced food and drinks and parking and all that stuff this year. And Uh-oh. restaurant to be named later under new management. Oh boy. Yes. Oh boy. So yeah, like I, that's I just picture Ryan walking in with like a giant like pretzel necklace that you see at Oktoberfest or something. Like, screw you. I'm not gonna buy anything here. You know, my sweaty pretzels. What are you gonna do about it? The, yeah. the beer guy's just doing his job trying to make a couple tips. To, right, know. that's the thing. The beer guy depends on the tips and, probably <laughs> too to make it. And Ryan's like, screwing no. him. <laughs> No, well, I don't care if you're just trying to make a living here selling beer. I'm not going to drink that beer. Yep. Be well, damned if I pay $12 for a summer shandy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There is that, too. Yeah, I mean, it's all... <laughs> there isn't much we... Like, they don't care. That's the part of this yeah. that is so frustrating, is that they don't care. They they know they have a captive audience. They know that we're going to come groveling back to them. And... Insofar as what they're doing to hurt the game, what they're doing most is they're they're turning off people who aren't fans from being fans. So they're spiting right. well, themselves down the road. Yeah, you know, if it was something like uh, the way the Ricketts have bought up like Wrigleyville, I mean, you could legitimately say, you know, we'll never spend a dime in this whole area or something like that again. Um, but again, the, the Brewers don't have that. I mean, like Ryan said, you could shuttle in basically to avoid the parking lots but 
um, aside from that, there isn't anything major. So, you know, I guess address it market by market. You never know. There might be some way to stick it to an owner somewhere else. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, Again, with the amount of money all these guys are worth, there's not much we're going to be able to do. Exactly. Like it. I've heard the point made on like Effectively Wild and others too. Like, yeah, you can cancel your MLB TV and we can all do that. But, you know, the freaking FanDuel sponsorship is going to make that back the second there's a game, you know, like they're they're just swimming in cash. So it, that's kind of the frustrating thing, right? And they have all these other sources of income and stuff too. So I think that's just from a fan perspective, what makes this all so frustrating <laughs> that they're haggling over this and, and, and not willing to spend any money. So I, I, I guess I would side with Ryan. Do what makes you feel good. Do what feels right. And, and, and that's right for you because honestly, it's not going to make a huge dent. Yeah. So, yeah, absolutely. All right. Uh, let's end on a happier note, shall we? Uh, last Patreon question again comes from Jay Google. Uh, so he didn't get the first one, but he'll get the last one here this week. Uh, he's asking who are some of the players that you are looking to get back on track this year after maybe a down year, not including Christian Yelich. So Ryan, how about you? Once there are games, if there are games, who's a bounce back candidate you're looking forward to? I mean, this actually made me feel a little bit scared when I actually confronted this question and went to baseball reference and looked at it because he didn't have a lot of guys who had down seasons last year. There really wasn't a lot of that. Um, mm. Most people either had fine to good years with the exception of Yelich. And I guess you could throw in Hero. We've talked about Yelich and Hero yeah. to death this off season. And, but even like when they went out and, and acquired somebody right before the lockout started, when they went out and got Hunter Renfro, they got a guy who's coming off of a really good season. So it's not like they're they're adding guys who are potentially upside there. The pitching staff, everybody was just up and down the pitching staff. Everybody had great years. You know, mm-hmm. you just top to bottom, everybody was really, really good. So I mean, you could you could go and point to God, I don't even like there, there's hardly really anybody I mean, to point to. I mean, I'd love to see Lorenzo Cain go out with a great season here. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. Or I'd like to see Devin Williams walk past only padded walls. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Yeah, I mean, Devin Williams did not have as good a season as he had in in 2020. That is that is true, so that would be good, but... Man, just up and down the roster, everybody else. Like, uh, really good. Maybe Rowdy Telez could have a full season where he doesn't get DFA'd. That'd be nice because then the Brewers wouldn't have to get rid of him. But like, yeah, I don't, I don't know. It, that's the issue, right? Is like the 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 frustrating thing with last year's Brewers was the lineup was up and down, pretty average to above average. And they still couldn't score freaking runs. So, I mean, that was the frustrating thing. Well, they did. They they had a very good run from, like, late May into mid-September where they scored and scored and scored. You know, they were, they were above average offense during that time, maybe even a top five offense in the NL for that time period. And then it all just vanished. And it was right, right at the very end and then into the playoffs. And that's the, the taste in the mouth that everybody's left with throughout this whole time is that they had just a punch of Judy offense, which really wasn't the case for most of the season. It just was at the very end there. 
yeah. So I guess yeah. Take it if you take away Christian Yelich, we don't have a whole lot to to hope for better things for, right? Like a lot of people uh, were at least at expectations or even surpassed them, right? Like I don't even know if Willie Adams will be as good as he was for the Brewers last year. I think that's maybe another question we can tackle another week. Is like, ooh, who are you kind of nervous about that won't quite? hit that level right because it's going to be those guys every single year yeah i would be more i'm a little more nervous about urias because he took a step forward last year whereas willie adamas was just the same willie adamas he has always been when he wasn't hitting at the trop so that part of it like i'm just less worried about that part of it if you want to if you want to go out and sign a guy who's maybe going to be underappreciated i was just listening to a fantasy pod while i was working out before we recorded here and michael conforto came up and i think the brewers would now have room for him yeah there's a guy who is coming off of free agents yeah yeah he's a free agent and he's coming off of a season that you know 232 344 384 i think get him in milwaukee get him away from the 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 that stadium first off and also just like let him have kind of a fresh start in a place that isn't the New York and the New York media crushing him. And I think you could, you could have something there, but I, I think that actually is probably the big thing that I'd like to see them do coming out of the lockout. God willing, when this ends is to take some chances on some upside plays that could like Conforto, if you give him a one year deal, cause I think he was offered a qualifying offer and he turned it down. So I think you could get him on like a one-year deal, a make-good deal, and potentially really have something there with him. So mm-hmm. that it, it's something like that, but that isn't what the question was asking. But yeah, <laughs> here's my my let's go out and get Michael Conforto pitch. Yeah, yeah. Well, maybe that's something where you know the players liking the Brewers for actually spending money uh, comes into play and. Hey, it's a decent place to play. They'll pay you. Play there for a year. Worked out for Yasmani Grandal. So give it a shot. Oh, I mean, there's one know. other thing before we go on here, James. Uh, in that podcast, they actually mentioned the NL Central, and I, an interesting thing came up about it. The NL Central only has four projected starters right now that are left handers, and one of them is the Brewers' Eric Lauer. Oh, wow. So it is a very right-handed heavy division as far as starting pitchers go. And so maybe that indicates some things that maybe we should be looking to load up on some more left-handed power, like, say, Michael yeah. Conforto. Like, say, Michael Conforto, whose uh, power would probably play well at American Family Field, as Paul would note. So mm-hmm. Look at all the lefties left in free agency. See who will sign with the Brewers. That can be the the, the activity for the next week because Lord knows we won't have baseball to talk about. So uh, thanks for the questions, everybody. As a reminder. Oh, Patreon. by the way. Sorry. Hey, Go for it. We, we found that one other question. We, we, we got did. One sent to us. Yeah. Okay. Our buddy, our buddy Mark sent it in. He was trying to get us to, to answer it. It's from Vinny Cornells. And he asked. Okay. What are the ethics of catching a foul ball and giving it to kids? Last year, I caught my first ball ever, gave it to a child later to find out they were there for v- for BP and had too many balls to fit in his mitt. I oh, felt, boy. I felt slighted. Oh, so no. His question is about giving kids uh, foul balls. Ryan? I mean, do you give do you give your cursed foul balls away? <laughs> <laughs> no, but I did burn it. 
welcome everybody for that. It really worked out great for me and everybody concerned. So I don't have my cursed ball anymore, and the Brewers were out in four games. Um, No, I mean, I was almost, actually, I did almost catch another foul ball in that game. Another ball came in my vicinity, and I did not get it, but I very nearly did. And had I caught it, I would have handed it to a kid. The second one, not the first one. I was going to keep that first one. Here's the thing. I figure if if you catch a ball and there's a kid like in the row in front of you or the row behind you, like they're kind of within that that yeah. area where you would reach over them potentially and catch it or, you know, they were pretty close and it would be exciting for them, you know, hand off the ball. You know, if you catch a ball, you don't have to go like look at a section over or something like that to throw it to you. No, yeah, it, it's strictly, I think, wingspan vicinity, right? Yeah, like, if, I think that's a reasonable take. Yeah, if you have to do more than like lean over somebody, I think uh, you, you're getting a little bit far. You don't have to do it. Well, I think there were like kids kind of running around back there because there's some space there. We were in the the last row before the media boxes back there in that mm-hmm. second deck. So I, I think there were. I feel like there were kids running around. So I would have just like looked at a kid who had come running over and basically tossed it. In See, what mid. you really need to do is figure out if there was like a camera on you when you caught the ball, mm-hmm. right? You know, if right. you're going to be publicly shamed for it, then obviously get rid of that. Ball. Well, no, it's if you're going to be publicly <laughs> lauded for being a, a decent person, giving the well, the that's ball what I'm the saying. Kid. Like, if you, if you just sit there and hold it, and then they're like, "Oh, look at that child there crying." Should I take it and like <laughs> dangle it in front of them, and then you know, jerk it away? Like, no, you can't have this yes. ball. No. Like, pull a Joey Votto on their ass. Like, oh wow. Here's a question: If a child catches a cursed ball, do you steal it from the child to go burn it? Yes. What you do in that case is you steal it from the <laughs> child to burn it and you replace it with another ball. They're not going to know the difference. So, you, oh, yeah, man. like that. Yes. I, in that case, I would say, yes, you do that. I thought you could say you throw the child back. <laughs> <laughs> what if the child is cursed? <laughs> this one's no good. Throw him back on the field. <laughs> Go home with the Cardinals. Oh, oh boy. All right. Uh, lots of good questions this week. If you want to get question priority, as we mentioned at the start, sign up to become a patron. That's at patreon.com slash MKE tailgate. Two bucks a month will get you that question priority here. We also shout out new patrons when they sign up every week here on the podcast. And even if you're not a patron, we would appreciate your support in another way. You could always leave us a review and a rating for this podcast wherever you listen to us, uh, whether that's uh, Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever else. A reminder, if you leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Paul, when he's here, will literally read anything you write in the review if you give us five stars. We are not above bribing people that way. Uh, you know, last week I called for a five-star review just to get Ryan to sing some, you know, like soccer chant or something. Uh, you can do that too. So uh, just hit uh, the five-star review in Apple Podcasts. Leave a review there for us as well. And while you're there, uh, hit the subscribe or follow button for our podcast on whatever platform you listen to your podcasts on, whether it's Apple Podcast or Spotify, Pocket Casts, uh, anywhere else, basically. You hit that button you'll get that push alert whenever we send out a new episode every single week so you make sure you don't miss one uh that'll do it for this week basically uh we'll just kind of sit here wait for some labor news to come through otherwise we'll just kind of get more and more uh, frustrated and punchy every week so uh we're gonna depend on your questions here for the next couple of weeks at least right so uh please do send those questions in it really helps make the show uh flow a lot better if you do 
thank you for listening, everybody. We will be back here next week. Stay well and uh, listen to us next time on Milwaukee's Tailgate.